let's go into the message right now. And the message, uh, next week I was just going to have a uh, brief message today and next week was going to be the big kickoff. That's still coming. <clears throat> Don't worry. In fact, it gives me a little more time to plan a few more crazy things for the kids that morning. I'm also so excited about that. But something that God has laid <clears throat> upon my own heart, <clears throat> excuse me, is the verse that we've read from Jesus in John. A number of places Jesus says this very thing. And this will be our theme for the next few weeks. Jesus, speaking about the love of God, that no greater love has one man than he lays down his life for another. And the command that I give you a command to love one another. In that context... At the end of that passage, Jesus shares these words from John chapter 15. You are my friends if you do what I command. <clears throat> As a young person, this verse, I'll be honest, it sort of bothered me. If you had a friend that came up to you and told you that, you would wonder if they're truly your friend. What do they mean by that? Well, you're my friend if you do what I tell you to do. Well, you don't want a friend like that. But we're talking about not another human person that we just meet on the streets. We're talking about God himself, the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten, Jesus of Nazareth. He tells his followers, you're not my disciples anymore. It's not a rabbi-student relationship. We are friends. He goes on to tell them because a servant doesn't know his master's business. And I share with you, my heart and my father's heart to make disciples, to take the good news into the world. So Jesus outlines for us what it looks like to be in that loving relationship as a friend of Christ. We still call him savior. We are his people, but he is the head. We are the body. We are intimately linked with Jesus. What does it mean to be the friend of Christ? What does our lives look like? How are they different than a life we'd live apart from Jesus. Jesus says, you'll know you're my friend when my commands are important to you. That my heartbeat, my agenda for life becomes your heartbeat. My goals become your goals. Now, when we think of Jesus' commands, we think of a couple major ones. And we're going to start out, we're going to start out with what we call the ordained commands of Jesus, the ordinances that Jesus gave the church. For instance, what we do today, as often as you do it, Jesus said, do this. It's a command to remember his death on the cross for us at the communion table with the elements of the cup and the bread. So we're doing this morning what Jesus commanded us to do. If you're my friends, you'll do what I command. So I call this morning's message, Do This. It's about the Lord's Supper. But as the weeks go by, we're going to look at some other major areas that Jesus has commanded you as his follower to be different than the world. Things that should be important and precious to us. And we see it in our lives, in our heart, in the lives of others. And we are encouraged in it as we see that we're friends of Jesus. Do this, Jesus said. And one of the things is to celebrate as often as you do it, his love for us by partaking in what scripture calls the Lord's Supper. Eucharist, communion, 
Holy Communion. It goes by many names, but it's referred to in the Bible as the Lord's Supper. Now, we find that name for the Lord's Supper in an interesting passage. We're going to refer to that chapter a couple times this morning. The passage is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 20. And this is almost a negative reference to the Lord's Supper because it's now come a long way from the upper room where Jesus instituted it. Now churches are doing it regularly, but Paul is writing to one of his wayward churches, the church in Corinth, that they are abusing the Lord's Supper, that this precious gift of a ceremony or a ritual that has deep meaning that was given to the church to practice has gone off the rails in Corinth. It seems from what Paul says, and we read in some of the early church writers, we call them the church fathers, men like Justin Martyr and those that wrote before the big church councils very early in the first couple centuries of Christianity, that that the uh, the communion the lord's table was part of a larger get together a meal they called it a love feast we call it a potluck where the church comes together for fellowship to share god's love and as part of that can you imagine if our big potlucks now everybody take the cup in hand we celebrated communion there that would be wonderful maybe we'll do it sometime but in the love feast in corinth Paul says, I have no praise for you. There are abuses and you are doing things that should be so meaningful and growing you in your faith. You're doing them in an unworthy manner. Now, what does he say? He says in verse 20, 21 and 22 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. There's the name. That's the reference in Scripture that gives it its name. He's referring back to that practice from the upper room. It's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes on ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Are you, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. And then Paul corrects their practice by giving us that passage that we most often quote on the first Sunday of the month. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. Paul received from Jesus himself how we celebrate the Lord's table. And what happened there? Paul, remember, as that apostle born out of time like an overdue baby, he came along after the twelve, which we've been examining their lives and their ministries throughout the summer. Paul says Jesus met him later, personally, face to face, on the road to Damascus. But he also spent time, I think, in, in prayer and other ways. Jesus revealed to him many things. What I received... This would be from Jesus directly, as well as the practice of the early church back in Jerusalem and uh, where the churches Paul was exposed to in Antioch and other places. And he's passing that on to this new Gentile church with so many problems in the city of Corinth. Now, 
the meal itself. That's some abuses, but let's focus in on the meal because we're going to be doing it in just a very short time. Now, what do we call this? We mentioned the name Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Communion, Eucharist. There's a number of names for it, and all of them are referring more or less to the same practice. But there's a major difference within the broader Christian family. What to call it? Is it a sacrament or is it an ordinance? Now, primarily, but not entirely, primarily this would be, uh, in our experience in the Western world, this would be primarily a Catholic and a Protestant distinction. How we look at this, this practice differently. Though it's not just Roman Catholic, it's the larger, more ancient church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, sees it sacramentally. Uh, coming out of Catholicism, but not coming all the way as the Protestants did in Germany under Martin Luther, the Anglican Church still refers to this as a sacrament. Now, sacrament is many of the ancient words coming out of Latin. It speaks that this is a practice or a ritual of the church. Now, that's important. It's of the church because it's only it's only real if it's done by the church and not just by the church, but by the priest of the church. That makes it a sacrament. What's a sacrament mean? It means that the saving grace of God comes to you and is applied to you through this work, this action, this deed. Now, we see uh, it differently as the uh, Protestant people did during the Reformation and others, basing it not on church practice from the centuries gone by, but more from what they could find <clears throat> right in the New Testament, in the Bible. I have a picture of the difference. Uh, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, they have seven identified sacraments, not just baptism and the Lord's Supper. The Protestant church primarily has two. Just baptism and the Lord's Supper. The reason they call them ordinances, that reminds you of another word, ordained, ordered, commanded. These are practices, ceremonies, rituals, if you will, that Jesus not only ordained them, he began them, he put his authority and seal on them, but we see them practiced in the New Testament by Christians continuing on through the church history. They were ordered by Christ. That's why they're called ordinances. Neither sacrament or ordinance are words you find in the Bible. Those are just how they're referred to later. <clears throat> and they don't see them as saving you, as works that God's grace has applied to you. They see them as blessings coming to you through obedience. God gives them to you as a blessing to grow you and bless you. Now, it's different ways of looking at it. One saves you those works those seven works done authoritatively by a priest because it's not only sacramental it's sarsidotal if you want to hear more fancy words that just means priestly they have to be done by priests in the catholic church they they uh they they include baptism confirmation holy communion confession anointing the sick Holy orders, which used to be referred to as ordination, that is uh, priesthood and so forth, the sarsodal aspect, and marriage. You see, none of those are rejected by Protestants. They're just viewed differently, not sacramentally. They still marry. 
They still anoint the sick. They still confess to one another when they have offended one another. It's just not done in that priestly, sacramental approach. Now, the reason they are different, because as I said, the Protestants looked in the Scripture, and there are many things, once they got the Bible in their own language during the Reformation, many things no longer made sense that had been done in the church as an authoritative thing for many years. And this isn't to knock any particular group because I have great reverence for church history and uh, how God has uh, brought His good news to the world over the years. But the Protestants, trying to understand why they differed, they looked into Scripture in their own language and they saw passages like Ephesians chapter 2, speaking of salvation. How the grace of God, which only the grace of God can save you, does it come through an act an anointing, a sacrament? How does it come to you? They read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which say, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So they looked at that and they said, it's not the works we do, authoritative or not. It's the faith of our hearts in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's how God's grace comes to us, only by faith. Scripture's very clear. It's all of faith. Only by faith does it come to us. And another passage that we often, that we often overlook in this regard Ephesians is very common to us, but there's a passage, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Look at the works that we would say, the sacraments, that if they do save, they're the righteous works. But Titus would disagree with that. Titus chapter 4 says, or chapter 3 rather, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This passage actually rejects God's grace coming to us through the righteous works that we can do. It's all of grace. It's a gift of God, and it comes to you by putting your faith in Jesus alone. That's why the Protestants differed from the Catholic approach to it. We're just going to leave that right there. We don't uh, call them sacraments. You can. Many people do, not knowing the difference. Because in the broader aspect of the church, there's the sacramental branch. There's the non-sacramental branch, which we would fall into as most Protestant or evangelical churches. And then there's the anti-sacramental branch. And boy, don't even search them on the internet because those people, they are... uh, flaming attacks on one another they're very smug in their own righteousness and and it just i don't even like all of the pride that goes along with it we agree to disagree but we approach this as a commandment of jesus with great spiritual blessing for those who uh, obey jesus commands remember our theme you are my friend if you do what i command and this is one of the gifts that he's given to you as his friend but i have to ask well why Why this memorial meal? Why did Jesus command it for you and I to practice today? First Sunday of of September 2021 in Troshu, Alberta. Why is it still a command for us today? Well, 
again, Jesus did command it. Let's just remind ourselves of that. We find in the accounts of the, of the Gospels, only in Luke does Jesus command to do this as an act of remembrance come through. In Luke chapter 22, we read, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus commanded us to do it in remembrance. Now, Paul repeats that. Remember, as he is correcting the Corinthian church, Paul repeats Jesus' command to do this as an act of remembrance in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Such familiar words, but we need to ponder them from time to time. We need to take them serious. In remembrance of me and will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now remember the setting that Jesus did this. He did it at a memorial meal. This was at the Passover that he said, I long to share this final Passover with you, my followers, because it was at that Passover that he took two of the elements, the symbolic elements of a memorial meal and gave them New meaning. Now remember the Passover meal was to be done in remembrance. Remembrance that they were slaves in Egypt and that God had delivered them from their slavery. And the elements of that meal, Jesus just takes the cup, which is probably the final cup of blessing as part of the entire ceremony. And he takes the bread, the matzah, which had symbolic meaning. And he took those and gave them specific meanings related to his death for us. There were many other symbols at that meal, though. There was bitter herbs and lamb shanks and, and so many things. Everything from the bitter herbs which symbolized the bitterness of their slavery. The bread with no yeast that reminded them that they were called to make bricks with no straw. They had to make do the best they could. All of the aspects of their suffering were symbolized in that meal. A symbolic meal of remembrance. And so Jesus gives to his followers, the church, the body of Christ, a memorial meal with symbolic elements. The cup, which reminds us of the blood of Christ shed for us. The cup of the new covenant. Not a covenant instituted with the blood of bulls and lambs, but the precious blood of Jesus. And the bread no longer bricks without mortar. The bread now is the, the body of Jesus given freely to the cross because of His great love for you. When we partake of that, the elements speak to us. And as we do it, we show to ourselves and others the death of Jesus 
as we reenact that ancient ritual, the ceremony that Jesus gave us. We only see a couple that Jesus not only ordains and authorizes, but practices. In Scripture, we find the Lord's table and baptism. There are many other things, marriage, anointing the sick, and so forth, that we do, but we don't see them set apart as ordained by Christ as those two that we practice. One we practice as baptism, we'll talk about next week, at the beginning of our journey of faith. But the Lord's table, as often as you do it, you need reminder of Jesus. And He gave us that memorial meal to participate in regularly. It's a proclamation of His death. So as we close and come to the communion table, I just want to answer that question, why? Why is it important to remember? Boy, that's old-fashioned. How long has it been since any of you tied a string on your finger to remember something? I did that as a kid once. I remember as a little kid I did that. It reminded me not to do it again because my fingers started turning purple. And my mom saw that and said, get that thing off there. (laughs) And I said, well, yeah, I heard you do that. She says, don't tie it so tight. Well, we have smartphones. We have, we set alarms. We set reminders. We have so many things and people and others to remind us to help us to remember. Why is it important to remember? The Lord gave us the Lord's Supper. He gave us communion to help us to remember something very important. And before we come to the table, let's remember that. First, we remember Christ's great love for us. We remember the love of Jesus. The Bible tells us that in knowing God's love, not just knowing about it, but experiencing it and knowing it and being filled with it, this is another definition of your salvation. It's that important to know the love of Jesus. And at the communion table, we see the fullness of God's love for us. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of of all the fullness of God. Being filled, your heart filled, and Jesus living in your heart, being filled with God and His love as Christ dwells in you. That's important. So to know the love of Christ as we remember it at the communion table, that's part of our Christian experience. That's part of being a saved follower of Jesus. Jesus knew that's where they would see His love. They saw His love as He walked the dusty roads of the Galilee. They saw His love as He fed the multitude. They saw His love as He healed the sick and raised the dead. But in John chapter 13, it tells us it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for Him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He now showed them the full extent of of His love. Jesus says, no greater love do you have than this, that you lay down your life for another. Jesus showed us on the cross the full extent of His love 
for you. If that doesn't soften, break a hard heart, I don't know anything else that could. It's not just the love of Christ, though, that we often focus on rightly at the communion table. <clears throat> the Scripture tells us, Paul writing correctively to the church in Corinth, that the elements themselves remind us of our unity. That Jesus didn't die for you in isolation. He died for us, the sinful world. That in Christ, as we've come through faith to know Him, to be saved by Him, we are one. We're the body of Christ. And even the elements. How many, does it take one grape to make the cup? No. Multitude. Does it take one kernel of wheat to make that loaf? No. A multitude. The body of Christ is made of many parts as the loaf is made of a multitude of wheat and barley. Well, that's the picture Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 16. Paul says, And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf. We, who are many, are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. We find our unity in Jesus. Oh, we need that now. Boy, if you're part of this world like I am, we are being pulled apart. Not only that, not only the great divisiveness of the pandemic. Oh, people who have known and loved one another, churches are splitting over things like vaccines, mask mandates. All of these things, they become wedge issues for us. Disunity. Well, read about wedge issues. That sort of what the federal election's about. The parties are all trying to throw issues out there to drive a wedge into people, separate them, and bring them over to vote for them. The world sees that as something that's fully acceptable, even commendable, but not in the body of Christ. You can disagree with one another about health issues, personal responsibility, government overreach, personal freedom. You can disagree, but you're one in Jesus. The love of Christ and the unity you have in Him is far more important than anything else. That fades into the background. Let our unity be in Jesus and Jesus alone. Not who's on our side of an earthly issue, but who is on the Lord's side. Our unity is in Christ. The Lord's table reminds us, oh, we need that reminder of the cost of our salvation. The cost. The price that Jesus was willing to pay for you. If you were the only sinner in the world, He would have died on the cross for you. His love is for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 reminds us, for you know that was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus gave His life for you. It should cause us to reflect. If that's what it cost for me to be a believer, a Christian, to be saved from my sins, ask yourself, does the life you're living today, is that 
a life worthy of the cost Jesus paid for it? Is it? You can have a good job, great education, big house. None of those things are worthy of the precious blood of Jesus. The lives we're called to live as friends of Christ are lives that put Jesus before ourselves and to put others ahead of ourselves to live a life walking in His steps of sacrificial love. It'll look different for all of us. And only you know the answer. It's not for somebody else to chide you. It's for you to examine your heart and ask yourself, is the life I live really worth of the cost that Jesus paid for it? That also speaks of the final thing before we share communion. We remember Jesus' perseverance. Jesus stayed the course. He followed the path that His Father had laid out for Him. He prayed, Lord, if there be any other way, Father, take this cup away. But not my will, yours be done. And His will was for Jesus to take our sin upon Himself and suffer for it on the cross. That through faith in Him, you could be saved. He followed the path. He didn't turn aside. He kept going. Though He was rejected, though He was sorrowful, though He sweat drops of blood in His anguish, though He was weary, He never quit. In Hebrews chapter 12, following the great hall of fame of faith in chapter 11, the application is made in Hebrews chapter 12. Look at those saints of the past, how they lived the life of perseverance, and now you run your race as a believer with perseverance. That is, not quitting, not giving up, not turning aside. Oh, pastor, you say, but I'm tired. Don't give up. Oh, pastor, the world tells me I'm now retired. <laughs> Don't give up. I've done my bit. Now everybody needs to serve me. Don't give up. Jesus never quit. And neither will I. Neither should you. Hebrews chapter 12, pointing to what Jesus did, says if you want to not lose heart, not become weary and sad in your Christian life, and oh, we know we all need that. This pandemic has worn us right down. Hebrews 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't give up. Never give up. Because Jesus never gave up for you. He kept going right to the finish line and sat down at His Father's side in heaven where He intercedes for us today. Friends, we look to what Jesus did and we take it with us to the world. We often think of in remembrance on the front of a communion table as just something we do with that little cup or that little piece of bread. But I think it should go beyond that. I think wherever God leads you in life, Scripture says 
If you can't do it for God's glory, don't do it. Think about that. When you get up in the morning, live your life in remembrance of Him. When I go to work, I want to work in remembrance of Jesus. If you go to school, go to school and follow your studies in remembrance of Him. Conduct yourself in relationships in remembrance of Jesus. <laughs> Spend your money in remembrance of Him. Enjoy nature, family, the world. Go on holidays and recreate, but do it with Jesus in mind. It's not just something that happens at the communion table. This is our lives. They're a gift from Jesus. And we experience them because of what He did for us on the cross. These reasons, remembering the love of Jesus, our unity in Christ, the cost of our salvation, it's free to us, but Jesus paid such a great price. And finally, to persevere. All of those come through remembrance. Oh, what a gift God gave us. Next week we're going to follow and talk about more things including uh, the gift of baptism that Jesus commanded us to do as a church as well. But today, the first Sunday of the month, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So this time in our service, I'll invite you to take your fellowship cup. Let's all make that crinkly cellophane noise together. Let's work to take the wafer out. Just peel back the clear one. Remove the wafer. As we have the wafer, which Jesus at that meal gave that symbolic element, a new meaning, Jesus reminded us that as He broke the bread, He said, this is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. So let's give thanks for the bread, which reminds us of the body of Jesus given for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for just the gift that Jesus gave to us at that Passover meal. He took those elements, Lord, that had been so meaningful, reminding God's people of their deliverance from slavery for all those years. And He gave it new meaning related to His sacrifice. And now, Father, for millennia, the followers of Jesus have celebrated what Christ did for us. Delivering us not from slavery, but from sin and death. Lord, the high price that Jesus paid, not a Passover lamb whose blood was applied to a doorpost, but the precious one without sin or defect who died for us and poured out His love on a cross. Lord, thank You for the body of Christ. He went willingly to that cross for us. Lord, we remember. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now as we prepare for the cup, carefully peel back that foil layer. Even if you just do it partially, that's fine. Let's give thanks now for the emblem of the cup, which reminds us of the precious blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we give thanks. We give thanks, Lord, 
for the body of Jesus, able to take this cup together. Lord, we thank You that we have the freedom of worship in this country. And Father, this morning we just want to fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, He stayed the course. John said that as He went to the cross, He showed us the fullness of His love for us. Lord, we see it again today. Touch our hearts with the love of Jesus that shed His blood to wash away our sin, that through faith in Christ alone, we could have salvation. Lord, may our lives echo Jesus. May our steps follow His path. And may we never grow weary or lose heart because we remember. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Friends, at this time, I'll invite the worship team to lead us in our closing song. And as they do that, stand up, stretch your legs, and prepare to worship in song as we close our time together.